the grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. The greatest experience that a politician can have in serving the people is actually having never been a politician. Nothing trumps real-world experience. I'm so excited that we have a surprise visitor today who's going to tell us more about that. But first, a word from our sponsor. Midwest Glass & Mirror is a full-service glass and mirror company. Located in Stevensville, Michigan, this company serves both residential and commercial customers in southwest Michigan and Indiana. In business for over 30 years, they are the glass and mirror industry leader and are trusted by homeowners, property managers, and commercial clients. Their mission is to exceed your expectations by delivering top-notch professionalism, integrity, and craftsmanship. I know one of the partners personally, and I can assure you he is a man of faith, a patriot. He loves God and country. He's a great example of American small business success due to hard work and an expert craft. Call 269-428-4464 or visit MidwestGlass.com today and ask how they can help you. Again, that's MidwestGlass.com or call 269-428-4464. Be sure to mention that you're a Kingdom Patriot. Okay, it's time for the news and review segment. There's really no more updates on Ukraine other than that the U.S. has been going a little bit more public with what we think Putin is going to try and do. I actually don't disagree with this as a partial strategy. We need to be telling the world about Putin's plans to infiltrate and create a false narrative to justify Russia's impending invasion. And again, as a partial strategy, I totally agree with this. As the entire strategy, it's an abysmal failure that fails to communicate peace through strength. Instead, we are begging for peace with no show of strength. And while I don't advocate the U.S. being the police for the entire world, where communism seeks to expand, we must stand up for the sovereignty of an independent nation. More to come as this continues to unfold. In other news, Canada. How can we not talk about what's going on in Canada? Justin Trudeau and Parliament enacted the Emergency Powers Act, which gives the government of Canada extraordinary, supposedly temporary powers. What powers, may you ask? This should give you extreme pause. First, for instance, they can ban the peaceful, lawful assembly of protesters. That in itself is chilling. Second, they can freeze or seize the bank accounts of those involved in the protests. They will expand money control measures, including against crowdfunding platforms. Insurance companies are required to revoke insurance on any vehicle being used in the protest blockades. Now, I want that let that sink in, for instance. This is not the government saying that we are going to enforce a law. This is where government now is intersecting with commerce and forcing commerce to do their bidding. Very, very important. Tow trucks and the companies that run them are now compelled, even if it's against their will, to work with law enforcement to remove Freedom Convoy vehicles from the protest sites. Police can now seize vehicles using the blockade or a protest, and all blockades and protests in Canada have been banned around border crossings, airports, and Ottawa. This is unbelievable, and yet we hear all the time that we should be a whole lot more like Canada. Really? And did you know that the Christian church in Canada is standing up against these tyrannical moves? Now, I'm quoting from Friday's Fox News story. 
A group of Canadian clergy sent an open letter to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau rebuking him for invoking the Emergencies Act and for other actions they described as tyrannical. We are writing to you as representative pastors of Christian congregations from across the nation and as law-abiding citizens who respect the God-defined role of civil government and uphold the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the highest law of our land, which recognizes the supremacy of God over all human legislation, is what this letter said. It was signed by 29 clergy and remains open for other Canadians to sign. The pastors continued to go on and rebuke Trudeau and his government, seemingly believing that they have the authority to bestow and remove fundamental rights at will. And this is something that they said, your government does not grant people the right to their bodily integrity, the right to work or earn a living, the right to decide for their children or to be with their families or dying loved ones, the right to gather to worship and obey God, or the right to travel in their own land or enter and leave. Civil government exists to protect these pre-political and fundamental freedoms, not to bestow and remove them as if it can function in the place of God. Wow, that, that entire segment is quite powerful. The pastoral error was organized by the Liberty Coalition of Canada, a Christian activist organization that was also behind the initiative, urging ministers in Canada and the United States to devote their sermons on January 16 to denouncing Bill C-4. Now, I have not heard about Bill C-4, but let me tell you, it's, it's not related to these protests, but again, more chilling news out of Canada. The new Canadian law carries a potential five-year jail sentence for counseling that does not affirm homosexuality and transgender identity. Just think about that. If you provide counseling that says the opposite, that homosexuality is not something designed by God, then you potentially could face a five-year jail sentence. Approximately 5,000 churches joined in the protest from the pulpit, which took place less than a week before the first convoy departed for Ottawa from Prince Rupert, British Columbia on January the 22nd. And I've included in this podcast transcript the link to that Fox News story. That's all for the news and review segment. Stay tuned as stories continue to unfold. I am so excited to have with us today a special guest. Dr. Sherry O'Donnell is an internal medicine physician, author, mission leader, educator, and speaker, calling Michigan's Great Southwest her home. In 2011, Dr. Sherry launched Herbie Medical Clinic, providing care to the underserved and uninsured, where she continues to serve as medical director. She has traveled to 32 different countries, leading short-term medical missions and disaster relief. In 2020, she responded to the COVID-19 pandemic by spending I believe almost nine weekends flying back and forth to care for patients on the front lines in New York City. Sherry, welcome to The Grid. How Chris, are you today? You. I'm great and so nice to be here. Thank you so much for the invite to be here. We are so glad to have you. And of course, we could probably talk for hours about your healthcare background, but there's a special reason we're talking today because it sounds like that you have a new adventure in your career. But before we dive into that, can you just give us a little bit of information about yourself, kind of your qualifications as a physician and what your journey has looked like. Gladly, Chris. So I, I've been in internal medicine now for 21 years. For the first year or so of my practice, three years of my practice, I was actually at Southwestern Medical Clinic, which is a Christian group of physicians that were here in Southwestern Michigan, that they set up their clinics much in memory of Jim Elliott, who were part of the missionary group that were killed by the Alpha Indians many years ago. That's what actually moved me here to Michigan was here. I was only going to be here one year. I was 21 years ago. I was going to be here one year, learn everything I could about that and go back to Oklahoma and start a Christian clinic there. However, the Lord has kept me here. 
I worked then in the ER for a short stint and then felt like it was very important that I open up my own practice, Rafa Medical Center. Rafa does mean the Lord, our healer. And I do believe that he is our healer. Those of us that practice medicine are simply physicians in his hands. So Rafa means the Lord, our healer. I opened that up after I worked in the ER for a bit. And I really approach medicine as very much a holistic care. We are emotional. We are physical. We are spiritual beings. And if I have a physician only take care of their physical needs, I've missed two thirds of who that person is. So I really look at the whole person and what is impacting their health. So I've served in the community for 21 years as an internal uh, medicine physician, as a business owner, and been here since. And I love what I do as a physician. I wouldn't have ever dreamed going into politics. Thank you for that information. Did you come to to the Michigan Southwest because of the Christian family of uh, physician practices? Is that what you brought to, brought you to this community? Absolutely. They do a lot of missions and had done a lot of foreign missions. And I knew even when I was in medical school that I was going to go on missions. I did my first couple mission trips while I was still in medical school. And I knew that that was always going to be part of it. And up until that point that I found out about Southwestern, every clinic group that I worked with or that I interviewed with, excuse me, thought missions was a great idea, was an amiable and an admirable aspiration but they really didn't understand that I felt it was a calling. So when I found out about Southwestern Medical and their emphasis on missions, yes, that is what moved me here to Southwestern Michigan. So you're talking a little bit about your practice and what brought you here, but I understand you have some teaching in your background, quite a bit, actually. Uh, Quite a bit. So I've been adjunct faculty with Western, as well as Seton Hill University in Pennsylvania. I actually was the initial founder of the internal medicine residency program, the residency at Lakeland. I started that because I'm as an osteopathic physician, they have what they call an OPTI, which is osteopathic physician training initiative. And to be part of a residency program, you are to be university-based. The administration at the time at the hospital didn't know about the OPTI because they weren't osteopathic physicians. So I brought that to the hospital. Teaching's always been a passion of mine. Even when I was a resident, I was granted the award of best teaching resident. Currently, I have students all of the time that rotate through my practice, and I've actually been honored on two separate occasions as the best preceptor that the students have. And they typically have um, a combination of all the students have about 600 different preceptors. Teaching is a passion of mine because I believe we need to educate forward and the next generation of practitioners. So let me get this straight, 21 years as a physician, an author, a missionary, a teacher, and it sounds like soon to be politician. How in the world do you take that leap? As as a step of faith, Chris. So as I was going back and forth to New York, when I went to New York for the COVID relief, it just, it, it burned within me. How is our nation getting to the place that we're at and we found ourselves then? And realizing that the divisiveness that was going on in our nation, the feuding that was going on, the defunding of the police, the changing of our history, pulling down statues, I was just praying and saying, Lord, what what next? And how can I be part answer to the situation and problems that we see going on? I believe that either you're an answer and a solution to those problems, or you tend to create and add to those problems. So as I was praying about that, I really felt like, Literally, Chris, the Lord laid it on my heart that I needed to run for public office. Well, after choking on that thought, because I don't like, I didn't like politics. I was very apolitical up until that point. Um, I, I really struggled with that initially. 
until it really was confirmed by several friends, by my pastors. Uh, last year, I set up a tent revival where we had a thousand seat tent coming to our communities. And we had 50 different churches involved in the tent revival. And it was just a matter of really believing that God had called me to this. So I would not find myself in the position that I find myself today. You know, I, I really like the fact that you talked about a couple of things there. Number one, the current situation brought you to a call to action. We've been talking a little bit with our listeners and our monthly Zoomcast, just how Nehemiah felt some of that same call where he got the reports back from Jerusalem of how terrible the conditions were there and the burden that he felt for his nation. In fact, he, he owned a lot of the sin and repented on behalf of the nation, but he felt that burden of call. The other thing that I like that you really said was uh, scripture clearly talks about seeking the counsel of others. And it sounds like you did that not just through prayer, but with those that you trust in your inner circle who speak uh, spiritually into your life. Very much so, especially in starting out with a lifelong friend that one of the first things she said is before you make any decisions, pray it through, pray it through, pray it through. Also, my pastors and his my pastor and his wife, Pastor Eric Gustafson and Christy. When I really felt like, gosh, I was supposed to do this, I cleared it with them and said, what, you know, what are your thoughts on this and where do you, where do you think um, this would be leading? Pastor Eric teaches a class and has taught a class on biblical worldviews and really what we should be doing as Christians. So it was very commensurate with what he taught in class. But I met with Pastor Christie and Eric well before I ever made it formal and publicly known that I was running. And yes, I did. Also, a little 92-year-old lady that I am her surrogate daughter to, and Ursula is one that um, the first thing she said was, what about my practice? Second thing she said was, well, you could do that, but is that what God has called you to do? And she said, I will pray about it. And she is more excited than probably anybody else at this point because she does see Lord's hand on it. That's fantastic. I heard, and I, I don't know if it's accurate, but I heard that on Dwight Moody's deathbed, he told his sons, if God be your partner, make your plans large. And I, I love this plan. I love this calling. But it is a large calling that only God could get the glory for. Let me add something right quick. A couple of years ago, my pastor challenged the congregation. He said, are we world changers? And I think if you would have asked me with my Christian walk up to that point, was I a world changer? I would have probably given myself a score of at least a B, if not an A the foreign missions, the free clinic that I've run, the community unity services that I've done, and just my emphasis for community service. I probably would have given myself a pretty pretty good grade. However, when he challenged us and asked us, were we world changers? It caused me to really think and say, you know what? That's what I want to be as a world changer. Lord, position me that my legacy would be that I am a world changer because I think that's what God has called us to. And when you look at the 12 disciples, they obviously were world changers, or you and I would not be here today. I appreciate you sharing that insight, uh, not only to me, but our audience. When you felt this call of God to run, was this before or during the COVID pandemic? It was during. I was riding my bicycle. I, I won't forget exactly where I was. I was riding my bicycle, praying about the community unity service that I think you know that I've started a year ago, a year ago, almost two years ago now in July. But I was during that time saying, Lord, where are we going next as a community unity service? What would you have us to do? And it was during the time that I was going back and forth to New York. And you said it rightly at the beginning of the podcast. 
it was nine weekends that I served in New York, going out on Friday, working Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, coming back to Michigan on Monday, being back in my office on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and flying out again on Fridays. So it was during that time. And I think part of it was the wrestling of seeing New York City, a city of 8 million people, gripped and captured by fear. When I first went there, Chris, Central Park was empty. Madison Square Garden was devoid of anybody. The first weekend that I flew into LaGuardia, there were 26 people in that airport. It's like, where and how and how is this happening? And just realizing what was happening in our, our nation's largest city and thinking and then seeing the rippling effect across our nation during that time. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've heard you share this a little bit before, but I, I really want our audience to hear just sort of your brief description of what you saw in those nine weekends in regards to COVID and how that parallels to what you have seen in our country, because you made some interesting analogy comparisons that I would love for you to share. When I saw New York City, so the first weekend that I was there, Chris, if I had not brought my own disaster relief items with me, I would have been on an automatic fast because there was not a single restaurant open, not a deli opened, no supermarkets opened. And I saw that everybody was hidden away in fear. And even the, um, the taxis and the Uber drivers, they had big shields and they wanted to make certain that you cleansed your hands beforehand and that you were double masked and the craziness. And it's, wait a second, I, I saw the life of the city draining them. You know, New York City is, is a vibrant city, is an alive city. There's not a single time of day or night that you couldn't do something. And suddenly the, it was becoming lifeless. And I saw that fear rippling across our, and into our state and feeling like life was, life was leaving them. And as a physician, you know, there's times that I have to discuss with patients, end of life situations and terminal conditions and what would they do? And it's like, you know what, I see some of that terminality, if you will, happening. And I'm saying, no, we're not going to let that happen. And I, I feel the heartbeat of America coming alive again and coming strong again, and that perhaps we're not on the ventilator as a nation, at least not yet. And I'm convinced that I, I'm going to stand up and it's not going to happen on my watch. I don't think God is done with America yet. And unless we, the conservatives, stand up, that pulse that was becoming and is becoming weaker, I think is strengthening again. And I think it's important that we as conservatives stand up and take our rightful place. We were a nation created under God by our constitution. I'm convinced that the, our forefathers that wrote that constitution were inspired by God. And we have gotten so far away from that. It's time that we come back to that. And I think that we'll have the opportunity, if we will, to stand up and say, you know what? May we breathe again. So I'm not certain, Chris, if that's what you're referring to. If not, I can specifically speak to. But that's that's some of the things that as a physician I see is the, the lifelessness and the, the drain that's happening. But yet I see a heartbeat regaining its strength. That's exactly what I was referring to. Because I remember at just your campaign kickoff rally, as you were just talking about some of those parallels, the parallels of fear, the parallels of a weakened heartbeat. And what that looks like if you don't reverse course and what the solution is. Um, yeah, so that's exactly what I was talking about. So again, you're a physician. You, As I see you, you, people might label you as a physician, but I would say that you are one of the most well-rounded entrepreneurs who happens to focus 
in medicine. Just given your experience, what kind of skills and maybe even character thought processes are you going to take to Congress with you that you think can help turn this around? You know, Chris, that's an interesting question because not long ago, as I was reflecting on my medical career, I realized there was so much of my life that has been in preparation of medicine, even as far back as junior high. I took as much math and science as I could. College, the same thing, all in an effort to get into medical school. When I got into medical school, I wanted the best residencies. And as I was reflecting, it's like, how can I do this as a congressperson when I've been a physician my whole life? But one of the things that I really feel has, has established the credentials that I have as a physician is so many of the other extra community things that I've done, the disaster relief that I've done internationally. You know, when the earthquake happened in, in August in Haiti, it happened on August the 14th. By August 20th, I was on ground with a team of medical pr- practitioners with the $15,000 worth of medical supplies. And I'd had our translators, I had where we were going to work and we were able to set up clinic. As I've done that in multiple different countries, I realized the logistical pieces that it takes to do that is giftings that I've, that I've acquired and skill levels that I've acquired. I understand the root cause analysis of things and I can get to the bottom of things as an internist. I don't look at just the superficial symptoms. I've got to dig much deeper. So it's between that, it's the uh, ordination that I, I am ordained as a minister, but looking at the disaster relief, the ordination, the teaching, those are things that I know that will carry me well into Congress. And I'm looking at and, and being able to decipher what the root cause analysis is. We don't need a Band-Aid fixed on things. We need to understand how we've gotten there, what it's going to take to get us back to our core values. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I'm, I've, I've never shared this with you, but, you know, from my perspective, I see you as not a talker, but as a doer. You're no, no nonsense, get it done. You don't, you don't talk the talk. Well, I guess you talk the talk, but you, you walk the talk as well. And um, you're somebody who gets things done. But more importantly, way more important is in the process of getting things done, you're a person that is, is shrouded in integrity and faith. And that, I believe, is something that's sorely missing from Washington. I, I recently did a podcast just on humanism, and I myself had not really done a deep dive on humanism, didn't realize how pervasive it's invaded our culture. And it just got me to thinking, why am I surprised that Washington is the way it is when the whole preface of humanism is good without God? And when you have the majority of Congress making decisions, believing they can achieve good without God, it's not surprising that when it comes to moral relativity that we end up with some of the decisions and the mess that we have. So it's very refreshing to talk to someone who is coming from a biblical worldview and understands that we are not the beginning and end all of wisdom, that that only comes from our Father. Absolutely. And, you know, I think understanding my biblical worldview, that that does establish the way that I run my life, that I walk out my business, you know, even the name Rafa Medical Center being the Lord, our healer, unless we get God back into its rightful place. We, we are one nation under God, and instead we've tried to replace God by everything else. And yes, the humanism that has taken over, that has taken over the uh, curriculum that we're teaching in school and passing in school, you do have to question, where's the integrity? It used to be those people that served in politics were those grassroots community people that served their community well, served their church well, served God well. 
and they were the ones that were going for public office. And it's just gotten so far off the Richter scale from that. It grieves my heart. And I think it's it's got to grieve the Lord of where we're at. And I know I think the forefathers would turn over in their grave twice if they were to see what post-pandemic, post-modernistic America has become. Ah, it's such a such a joy to talk to you and just hear some of your heart in this. It's about all the time we have today. What's the last few things that you would like to say to the audience who's listening? I would encourage them to take their rightful place. It's going to be a team effort to turn our country around. It's going to take every conservative American standing up for what our core values are. You know, Chris, Acts 1-8 says, first you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then both in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. When you stop and think about that, and I recently preached at the Christian Embassy in Niles, I realized when it says both, Jerusalem and Judea, but it lists four things. It lists Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, four is more than two. So what is that both all about? Well, it suddenly realized that I think they were talking about the church and the world. And to understand that either the church and the conservative Christian will influence the world or the world will influence the church. And it's high time that we as conservatives stand up and say, we're going to influence the world. And that means even in politics. That is a fantastic word to end on. Wasn't that a fantastic conversation with Dr. Sherry O'Donnell? If you're like me, that left you wanting for more. Well, good news. We're going to have multiple conversations with Sherry over the coming months as our campaign ramps up for the election this fall. But in the meantime, I want you to go to her website so you can learn more about her. It's DocSherryForCongress.com. That's D-O-C-S-H-E-R-R-Y, number four, Congress.com. Visit DocSherryForCongress.com today to learn more about Sherry's campaign and her run for the U.S. House of Representatives in Michigan's 5th District. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of The Grid. And I want to make a special thanks to our sponsor, Midwest Glass, the Southwest Michigan leader in glass and mirrors. Give them a call today at 269-428-4464 or go to midwestglass.com. That's midwestglass.com or 269-428-4464. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. I'm Chris Coleman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot. Oh,